for reminding us that you are the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever. That our circumstances are not dependent on who you are. Because you are the same. So thank you, Lord, that when we worship you, that we bring all our circumstances under you. Hey, good day, everybody. Thank you for joining us in our Say Yes series. And today we're talking about yes to kindness. I think we all agree that we can do with a world that has got more kindness in it. We all would like to be more kind and we certainly would like others to be kinder towards us. Um, but yet it's a struggle that we have in the world, don't we? That there's so much unkindness, there's so much harshness and um, so much struggle that we have as people with one another where we just end up being so unkind, whether it's on a very personal level or whether it's on a community level or a cultural level or even on a, a level of nations with one another. And we think right now of just how unkind the world is towards those in Ukraine um, and what they're experiencing. And it seems to be this constant battle that we have, that we live in a world filled with unkindness. And it, that even becomes a bit more difficult to understand the, why it is the case if we think about the fact that God is kind. So we have a God that is kind. We want to be kind. We want people to be kind towards us. But yet we live in a world that is so unkind so often and so regularly and in such huge ways and, and such detrimental ways. Why is it that we struggle with kindness and, and can't just have more kindness um, and that's what I would like us to consider today as we talk about saying yes to kindness. And, and to do that, I'd like us to go to a portion of Scripture. So if you can with me, go to Romans 2. That'll be fantastic. I'm going to speak about the first five verses of Romans. And what I want to do today is really go verse by verse through this uh, conversation that Paul is having with somebody. And uh, just unpack a little bit the issue of kindness. The central verse that uh, this whole portion of Scripture revolves around uh, at least for our purpose today, is Romans 2 verse 4, where it says the following, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Not really realizing that God's kindness 
is intended to lead you to repentance. The scripture is so beautiful when it says here in Romans, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. God is a kind God. God is a gentle God. And uh, we want to understand a bit more But what does that mean for us? How do we receive more of his kindness? And how do we live in that kindness and reflect that kindness? So can I ask that we just pray together and then we're going to jump right into the word. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for Romans and Paul that wrote. I pray that for each of us that this will speak to us, that this will help us, Lord, to understand how to say yes to your kindness and yes to being kind to others also. And I thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go. Let's dig into the scripture. Romans 2 uh, follows Romans 1. Uh, That's a statement of the obvious. But I want to say that because there's some things in Romans 1 that Paul now takes further. And uh, what he does is Paul enters into a conversation with an imaginary person. Now, he's not crazy. He's doing this on purpose. He's using a literary style that was often used at the time. It's even used in the Bible elsewhere. That is called a diatribe. It's when a person has a conversation with somebody that they're imagining. It's not a real person. And they're doing a conversation with a person because they are using this to help their readers see that there are some misconceptions and inconsistencies that people are having. So he's wanting to highlight some assumptions that people are making that are incorrect And um, he's going to do that by asking some questions and to show them that their thinking is incorrect. And he does that in this style of what is called a diatribe, this dialogue that he's having with an imaginary person. Now, it seems, though, as though the person he has in mind was a Jewish person. So he's asking questions of people that are particularly from a Jewish background and wanting to highlight to them the misconceptions and the assumptions that they've made that are incorrect. And uh, he starts with this in Romans 2 verse 1. He says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Um, Paul is saying here to a, a Jewish person that you are doing something that is uh, that you need to understand is not correct. And what the Jewish people were doing is that they were judging Gentile people and other people for sins and doing things that were not right according to their understanding, yet excusing those very same behaviors in themselves. They were operating under an assumption that because they were Jews and had a covenant with God, that they were uh, therefore judged on a different standard. Um, I I really used uh, Douglas Moo's commentary to help me with the preparation for this message. And he talks about what scholars have termed covenantal monism. This is the Jews' conviction that their corporate election combined with sincere intention to obey the law sufficed for salvation. That because they had the law, because they had a covenant with God, as long as they were intended to trying to keep the law and did their best, then God would forgive them their sins. And uh, he's highlighting to them that this is, an, this is an incorrect assumption, that this assumption is not correct, that 
in the Old Testament, what it was actually teaching was that a saving relationship with God comes as it did for Abraham through human response to God's grace expressed in his promises and not through the Mosaic covenant. Remember that even in the Old Testament, it says you are saved by faith, that it is Abraham was saved by faith because he believed God. He entered into a relationship with God, a relationship that brought him to a place of salvation because he responded to God. He allowed God to, to change his life and to change him. And he put faith in that. He responded to God, not on the basis of a covenantal law was he saved, but on the basis of faith in who God is and the promises of God and his relationship with God. And, and Paul is here highlighting to the Jews that, that this is what the Old Testament really taught. But you operating under a false assumption and therefore you are operating incorrectly. You think that you can condemn others but excuse yourself for the sin. You misunderstand that you are not better or different than other people and have you don't have an excuse to why you should be doing things while others aren't allowed to do it. You see, because as long as the Jewish people believed that they have a covenant with God and therefore they're okay, they, they therefore wouldn't need Jesus. They wouldn't need salvation in Jesus because they had the covenant. And he was showing them that they needed Jesus, that the covenant that they had was not going to do it for them and that it was not removing the, the guilt of their sins um, as they assumed it did. Um, and, you know, they were operating under this incorrect assumption. Um, in the sins that they were guilty of, that what they were prepared to judge the Gentiles for, but were actually excusing in themselves. Paul mentions those in Romans 1 verse 18 to 20. He says the following, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what they may, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Just like all men are guilty of suppressing the truth, even when it is plain to see and refuses to, go, to recognize God and his qualities, just like those people are without excuse. So, so the Jews is without excuse to know the truth of God and the righteousness of God. They are in a sense even more guilty because they have the law and the prophets, not just natural revelation. The Jews were so ready to judge the Gentiles and to say to the Gentiles do all these horrible and terrible things. But the Gentiles were operating on what we call natural revelation. And the scripture says that it is plain in creation to see that there is a God and, and to, to want because of that to have a relationship with this God. But people suppress that. People suppress that desire. People suppress that knowledge because they don't want to be accountable to a God. They don't want a God that has rights and, and that has the authority over their lives. So they suppress that truth. And uh, therefore, they make themselves guilty because they are, you know, not responding to what is true and real. And, and Paul says, you, the Jews, don't just have natural revelation. You actually have the law and the prophets. You have more direct, specific revelation about who God is. God has communicated with you. God has made himself known to you. If the Gentiles that only have natural revelations are without an excuse, how much more are you, the Jewish people, 
without excuse to know what is right and to know about having a relationship with God and, and being saved by his grace. So you, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. By the, by the fact that they were condemning the, the, the Gentiles for sin, that they gave themselves a pass for, they were condemning themselves because they are showing they know what is wrong. They just see themselves as exempted from the expectations. And isn't that amazing how often we do that as people? We are so ready to, to judge other people when they do wrong, but so quick to give ourselves an excuse, to give ourselves a reason that covers us for why we shouldn't be held so guilty. And that's exactly what the Jews were doing. They were just finding a sort of a religious legal loophole that would cover them, but that would actually make everybody else guilty. But Paul says, no, when you do that, you're actually showing that you know what is sin and what is right and wrong. You just don't want to hold to that standard. You just don't want to do it. And that indicts you. That shows how terrible you are. And then in verse 2, he says, Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. God's judgment is blind in the same sense that we often talk about justice is blind. You know, whenever you see a a, a, a sculpture that represents justice, you know, the scales that are, is being held by Lady Justice. She wears a blindfold because the scales is supposed to measure and meet out justice, not based on prejudice or position or person, but based on truth. And that's how God judges. God judges based on truth. His judgment is, is based on truth. He doesn't have a different set of of rules for Jews or for Gentiles or for Christians or for non-Christians. The, the truth is the truth for everybody, all the same. Justice and his judgment is measured by the same scale. Doesn't matter who you are or what you are. All men are equal before God. All men stand equal before God's truth and will be judged equally by the truth of of God's word and what God's word stands for. And Paul is saying that to this person that he's having a conversation with, um, this imaginary person, he's saying, you forget that God's judgment doesn't show favoritism, but that God judges everybody equally because his judgment is based on the truth. The Jews would believe that, believe this, they would say, yes, God's judgment is based on truth. But they would include in that truth this thought of a special relationship that they have with God that would therefore put them on a different scale and a different way of being measured. But Paul says to them that this is not the case and that just because you believe that, it won't shield you from the consequences of your sins. The, 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 the things that you do wrong is going to have the same consequences in your life as it would have in the lives of the Gentiles or, or others. So he therefore carries on in Romans 2 verse 3 and he says, So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? By the measure you judge, that measure you will be judged, the scripture says. If you call something that somebody else does wrong, but yet do the same thing, then you are even in a sense more guilty because by judging someone else, you've revealed that you know that that action is wrong 
but yet you think you can get away with it. You can do it. We, we have such a clear sense of right and wrong. Every single person that walks this planet has a sense of right and wrong. It may not be the correct sense. It may not be what God calls right and wrong, but we all have a sense of right and wrong. And that's because God made us moral beings. And therefore we can have morality. We, we have a sense of right and wrong because God made us that way. And God made us and gave us the ability to make moral judgments every day. Everywhere you and I go, we have to make moral judgments. What am I going to do? Am I going to respond in this way or I'm going to say that? What is right in this specific situation that I'm in? We're constantly making moral judgment. And um, we we consistently judging what other people do and how they do things towards us. And I know there's this beautiful idea that seemingly beautiful idea, I should say, that the people have that we shouldn't judge, but nobody can live like that. You can't not call something wrong. I mean, right now we're saying as a world to the Russians that what they're doing is wrong. What gives us the right to say that? If we live in a world where nobody should judge and we shouldn't practice any judgment, then we shouldn't try and stop them. We should all just allow them to do what they want to do. And however they treat the, 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 the Ukrainians, that's just what is because nobody has the right to judge. No, we have to judge. We have to make judgments and say, no, something is right and something is wrong. The issue is just that, that we use the same measure evenly and equally. That we don't say, when I do something, it's right. But if somebody else does the same thing, it's wrong. Because then we are judging incorrectly. And then we forget that ultimately all of us will be judged by God. You see, if you and I believe that God is the final judge of everything, then I recognize that there's somebody that will judge me. So I'm not, I can't stand in judgment over somebody else. You know, calling what they do wrong, but excusing myself from that same behavior because I will ultimately also be judged. God will also look at me and say, hey, and call me to task and call me to accountability and say, hey, what you're doing is also wrong. And that's beautiful how God did that throughout the scriptures. You think of, of, of David with Bathsheba, how God called him to account through the prophet Nathan. Um, right throughout scripture, God calls us to account. He says, what you're doing is wrong. The scripture is filled with stories with those that are close to God, loved by God, those that are elevated by God, put by God in power, that God calls to, to account and that God judges their, their mistakes that they make. And when we want to judge others, we always have to remember that we will be judged by God. And that humbles us. And that brings us to a place of seeking truth and fairness, not just that which is convenient to me or, or suits my agenda or suits what I want in life, but which is ultimately truth. And that's what we should be. We should be people that seek truth. And even if it hurts us, as Psalm 15 says, that, that speaks the truth, even if it hurts us, that, that even if it goes against us, if the two-edged sword has to cut me first when I recognize that some action is wrong, that's the way a believer lives because we know that we will be judged by God ultimately and that God is the judge of everyone. And then we go to Romans 2 verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So yes, God judges sin, 
But the wonderful thing is that we know God is a God of kindness. God is kind. We, we see that in, in, in Psalm 145 verse 8. David reflects and echoes the words of, of, of his Exodus 34 verse 6 from that encounter that, that Moses had with God. When David writes this, he says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. That's how the Old Testament shows us who God is. That he is slow to anger, gracious and compassionate. When, once God judges is because his kindness has been exhausted and it's been come to the place where it is not brought about the change of heart in people. But God always shows kindness first. He wants to be kind. He wants to bring us into a relationship with him through his kindness. He woos us. He wins our hearts. Through his kindness. But what we have to understand is, as Doug Moo puts it in his commentary, the purpose of God's kindness is not to excuse sin, but to lead us to repentance. So this is how God operates. When we sin against him, and you know we all sin because we have a sinful condition. Man is in a, in a fallen state, the state of sin. So we all sin so easily and so regularly. And we are in this condition of sin. How God responds to that sin is not to try and beat it out of us, not to threaten us, not by guilt and by shame to try and get us to change, not by belittling us, but by being kind to us. God comes to us and he shows us mercy. Mercy is God not judging us even though we deserve, deserve judgment. And he shows us kindness. He gives us his kindness in so many Ways In so many beautiful ways, he reveals kindness to us. I'm sure we've all looked back on our lives and we've recognized that there were moments where we deserved to actually, for things to go horribly wrong for us. We deserved bad consequences because we did bad things or stupid things. And But then we recognize that somehow God was gracious to us and it didn't work out as badly. It didn't go as wrong as we should. I certainly can think of so many things in my life that I think about it back now and I cringe at the way I behaved, the way I did things, the, the attitudes I had, the, just the, how wrong I was in so many situations. Sometimes I badly I treated people and I think, man, I, I should have really suffered bad consequences of that. And so many times I recognize that, yes, there may have been some bad consequences, but in the end, how God helped me to, to turn that around and and, and how I was saved and how others were saved even from the consequences of my, my bad actions and how God was gracious and kind towards us. I've recognized throughout my life, whenever I've done something so bad and I go to God and I say, Lord, I failed you. He never rejects me. He will talk to me about it and sometimes he will say to me, yes, what you did was really bad and you have to understand how bad it is. But he never rejects me. He always embraces me and shows kindness towards me. And it is this kindness that it says here in Romans 2 verse 4. It is his kindness that is intended to lead you to repentance. The issue is that in the face of such kindness, my heart should be softened. My heart should be changed. My heart should surrender to him and say, Lord, thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. Help me to never, ever do that again because I've received your unmerited kindness in this situation. But the fact is, that's not how we respond. 
so often. And that's what Paul is saying to this imaginary Jewish person that he's having this dialogue with. He's saying, instead of you receiving the kindness of God and that leading you to repentance, to change your way, to stop your bad behavior, what you're actually doing is abusing God's kindness and using it to cover your sin and so that you can actually carry on with doing what you want instead of changing. You're using that and you're saying God is weak and God is... Is, is just going to allow you to do what you want. And, and instead of changing, you are just carrying on on your merry way and continuing to do what you've always wanted to do. And the sin that you would be so quick to judge others for, you are so easily excusing yourself for and allowing yourself and giving yourself the wiggle room. And that shows the true condition of the human heart, how stubborn and how rebellious our hearts are, that in the face of such great kindness, having received such unmerited grace and favor from God, instead of that changing us, humbling us, softening our hearts, we actually use that as permission to carry on to do what we want to do and to sin. That is, that is the thing that we should recognize and be truly sad about. That is the thing that we should see is the true condition of the human heart. That is our real problem. Our real problem is not firstly how unkind we can be towards others. Our real problem is how we abuse the kindness of God, first of all, because that reveals the rebellious state of our hearts. That's why Paul carries on in verse 5 to 6, he says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person according to what they have done. If you are taking the kindness of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, and you are very ready to receive it, and to receive the forgiveness of your sins. But it does not lead you to change the way you live. It does not lead you to stop your sin and to change your behavior. That just heaps more judgment on you. And I think we can all understand that. We can all understand because wrong is wrong. Sin is sin. God judges sin. Aren't we glad that you and I live in a, in a universe where God doesn't ex just say, ah, oh, whatever, and just let, allow anybody to do what they want to, but he steps in. He, he says, no, it is wrong, and he judges it. He may be slow to do that because he's slow to anger. When I do something so unkind to somebody, God comes and he shows me kindness. So that that kindness will cause me to change and become kind and stop doing that unkind thing to somebody else and actually become kind to them. Now, when that happens towards me, if somebody is unkind towards me, I so want God to judge them immediately. I don't want God to be kind to them. I want God to, to step in and, and, and judge them and strike them immediately. But I don't want God to do that to me when I'm doing the unkindness. But the fact is, even though we may feel frustrated when God doesn't judge others, he's just doing the same as what he does with us. He shows kindness. He shows mercy. He allows us to experience his grace. But that doesn't last for 
forever because at some point God has to deal with the issue. He has to say no and he has to stop the behavior. He has to stop the harm and the hurt and the bad we do to one another. And this is what the scripture says. If we just abuse his kindness and allow that to strengthen us in our evil, we are just delaying the issue, but we are storing up for ourselves judgment and God will ultimately step in and judge us. This is the trouble we have. The human heart is so rebellious, so stubborn, so headstrong. It just wants what it wants. We want our own way. We want to do what we want and how we want it. And we, 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 we are so stubborn in that, that even kindness will not stop us from doing that. That's what Jeremiah said and how he experienced us. And when he said this in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And it's when we recognize this that we recognize we need a savior. We need Jesus. We don't just need a teacher. We don't just need somebody that comes and tells us to be kind and even shows us to be kind. We need somebody to save us from our hypocrisy. We need somebody to save us from our hearts that are so abusive, so rebellious, so ready to excuse sin in our own lives, but judge others for it. We need Jesus. We need a savior. And it is for that reason that Jesus came. And in Romans 3 verse 22, Paul writes and he says, The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same truth judges a Jew or a Gentile. The same justice of God that is based in truth is applied to both the Jew and the Gentile. And therefore, both the Jew and the Gentile need Jesus. Need Jesus to come. Jesus to give us the righteousness of God. We can't be righteous. We can't be good enough. I can tell you today to be kind. Just be kind. But I guarantee you at some point, your, your kindness is going to run out. Isn't that what happens? We all want to be kind, but yet we're so unkind so often. We all want to do nice things to other pe for other people. But you know, when we're tired, when we are frustrated, when we are angry, then we give up on kindness so quickly, don't we? we? We so quickly sacrifice kindness for other things that are more important to us. When somebody cuts in front of us in, in the road, we, we have rage. We don't show kindness so easily. We have rage because our kindness runs out. I'm not talking about judging things that are wrong because they're wrong, standing on truth. I'm talking about just having the capacity for kindness towards people. It runs out because other things are actually more important to us. Having what we want is actually more important than being kind. We'll be kind as long as it works. And as long as it works for us, we generally will be kind. But it runs out because other things are more important. And that's the problem the human heart has. We, we can't be righteous. The only way we will be able to be righteous if it's, if it's given to us by Jesus. And the way we receive kindness is through faith. is through recognizing 
the condition of our heart and that I need a savior. It's by coming to stand before the Lord Jesus and saying, Lord, my heart is wicked and deceitful above all else. It's desperately wicked. Lord, I know how bad it is, Lord. I can see how bad it is. I need a new heart. I don't need you just to help me to be better. I need a transplant, Lord Jesus. I need a new heart. I need a different heart. I need a soft heart instead of this hard heart, this rebellious heart. And that's what Jesus can do for us. In 1 Corinthians 5 verse 21, Paul says, God who made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All the wrath and the judgment that has been stored up for us because of this condition of our heart, because of this rebelliousness and this heart that is so unkind and so unforgiving, this all the rebellion and the, the judgment that we deserve because of this heart, God took and poured that out upon Jesus. Jesus substituted for us. Jesus died in our place on the cross. The judgment that was supposed to be received by us was given to Jesus. Because that hard heart, that rebellious heart deserves judgment. It has to be judged. And that's what God did. He said, I will judge your rebellion. I will judge your sin, but I will judge it in Jesus. And Jesus took that judgment upon himself. He who has no sin, who personally didn't have a rebellious heart, who personally didn't show unkindness towards anybody, who personally wasn't giving himself an, a, a way out while judging others, who was not a, a hypocrite personally, but he who was perfect took upon himself our sin so that the exchange can happen, the divine exchange. He took our sin so that he can give us his righteousness, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That righteousness is a heart that becomes soft towards God, a heart that responds towards God, that responds to the kindness of God. You see, the rebellious heart doesn't respond to the kindness of God. It rejects the kindness of God. It abuses the kindness of God. But the heart that is being softened by the Lord Jesus, recognizing in humility how deceitful it is, and coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, forgive me. Thank you that you took my judgment. You stood in my place. That heart becomes softened to receive the kindness of God. The kindness that then leads to repentance. That leads to a life being changed and a life being lived differently. A life that then can begin to reflect that same kindness that it, it has received on towards others. So when I say yes to Jesus, I say yes to the kindness that I didn't deserve. Yes to the forgiveness that is unmerited. Yes to the mercy that I had no claim to, that I had no right to. I receive that kindness and mercy. And that should in me then build the ability to respond to that by showing kindness to others. Not to be like the older brother, as Apostle Letitia spoke about last week. Not to be the older brother in the prodigal son and to actually just be a moralist that says, no, it's wrong. And therefore they must pay the price and, and suffer the consequences. But a heart that says, you know, I was wrong and look how God forgave me. I want others to experience the same kindness of God. How's your heart doing? Is your heart stubborn and hard? Are you abusing the kindness of Jesus and actually 
letting that give you permission to carry on in your sin? Or are you saying, Lord, forgive my sin? How are you responding to others? Are you showing kindness to others? Not because you are doing it as an outside activity and an action, something that you're just trying to do, but because you surrender to Jesus and his kindness is being reflected through you to others. Let's be those that because we've received such extreme kindness can therefore show kindness to others. If you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to pray a prayer with you right now and invite you to say yes to Jesus. Pray this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I recognize the condition of my heart, that it is evil, that it is rebellious, that it is a hard heart. I ask you today to forgive me for my sinful heart. Thank you, Jesus, that you took upon yourself the judgment that I deserved so that I can receive the righteousness that you have. Thank you for that exchange. And I do that exchange today. I give you my hard heart. And I thank you that you give me a soft heart, a responsive heart, a submissive heart, a heart that yields to God, a heart that wants to receive the kindness and reflect the kindness and show kindness. Come, Lord Jesus, be my Savior. Save me from my sin, from my sinful condition. I pray in Jesus' name. And then, Lord, I pray for all of us that as we have received your kindness, help us to reflect your kindness to others. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with me today. May the Lord bless you. May you have a fantastic week and be used by him to show his kindness on your front line. Let's say yes to Jesus every day. Have a wonderful day. Bye.